the next two weeks, we are going to do a teaching series that I've entitled Sacred Melodies. Each week, I'm going to play you a song, and then we're going to see what God is speaking to us as a faith community through the lyrics of that song. Today, I'm going to play a video for you, and next week, we hope to have a live presentation, okay? So just enjoy this song. This is called We Call It Dreaming, and then after you watch this video, I'll come up and talk about the lyrics of this music.
Thanks, Tim. All right. Um, when I first listened to that song, I thought, ooh, God is all over this song. God's all up into these lyrics. In fact, as I thought about the lyrics over and over again, this song ended up being, to me, one of the greatest definitions of what church should be like that I've ever heard. So let me explain that by going over three lines from this song. And lyric number one, line number one is this. It's here where our pieces fall in place. What a great lyric, what a great line, and what a great motto for church. Fifth Avenue Church, where our pieces fall in place. Notice in this video, there's a truck giving a bunch of people a ride, and the truck has a driver that you can't see. And the people getting in the truck come from all different kinds of experiences. I relate to the woman that got lost in the woods. I get lost all the time, okay? So there's this woman that's lost. There's a guy in pain. There's some people in great joy. There's some people have some fear issues in their life. But whatever their circumstances are, though they can't see the driver of the truck, they get in anyway because they trust that somehow this truck is going to be heading in the right direction. That's church, people. We follow a God we can't see, trusting that he's going to take us in the right direction, and we're choosing to do it as a group. We're choosing to do it together. But that togetherness is going to require something of us. It's going to require vulnerability on our part. I mean, when you get into the back of a truck, I don't know if I grew up in the 70s. We were always riding around the back of the truck, okay? That's what kids did. There was no seat belts. There was nothing like that. Kids rode in the back of the truck. So when you get in the back of the truck, there's nowhere to hide. You're going to have to see people. You're going to have to hear people. And heaven forbid, you're probably going to have to touch people. Your little space bubble and mine is very large. The bubble around me is very large. That's going to get burst in the back of a truck. It's uncomfortably close, and we don't like that. We like to feel safer than that. I found this picture the other day. I came across this, and we popped this up on the screen. This is an older couple. They're going into the beach, and they're afraid of sharks, and so they put on these, they put on these man-made, homemade shark cages, and they're going out, and they plant them in the sand, and they stand there, and the lifeguard eventually comes and kicks them out because they're going to drown. The cages are going to start to sink, and they're just going to drown. Not a great idea, but I can totally relate to them. Because I love to snorkel, I love the beach, but sharks aren't my thing, okay? So I get why they're doing this for their own safety. But church is not a place where we can have cages and barriers and protection. We need to operate in vulnerability and openness, which is wonderful. It's terrifying, but it's wonderful. This kind of togetherness is also messy. The folks in the back of this truck did not have their act together. Like us, they were far from perfect. Church, I hope you don't expect this of this place, church is never going to be a neat, tidy, antiseptic environment. It's always going to be a messy mosaic of humanity because we all have flaws and failures and issues, and we've just got to admit that. In the book I just finished, there's an author, I think she's from, oh yeah, she's from back east in Philadelphia, and she talks about this experience, she's riding a city bus in Philadelphia, and something gets her attention out the window, and she looks out the window, and there's this dude, a middle-aged guy, and he's in a hospital gown, you know, the kind that tie around the neck, but they're completely open in the nether regions, and he's sprinting next to the bus in those Thankfully, no slicks, you know, the no-slip socks that they give you. And he's sprinting next to the bus, and somehow the driver sees him in the mirror and has compassion, stops the bus, opens the door, and he hops on. He goes, I don't have any money with me, obviously. <laughs> There's no pockets going on here. I don't have any money with me. 
but I only live a few blocks away. Can you take me there? And the driver has compassion on him because who wouldn't, right? And he drops him off. And the guy, she says, I watched him sprint into his apartment. Evidently, he'd gone to the hospital. And this place that's supposed to make him feel better didn't make him feel better. He felt even worse about that environment. So he just bolted. He just got out of there. And I thought, that's how so many people feel about church. They walk through the doors of a church and they think, this is going to be an environment that's going to make me feel better. It's going to be friendly and warm and people are going to offer me compassion and God's going to speak to me and there's going to be healing. And then they get into that environment and they suddenly realize this environment doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't feel healing. It feels toxic to me because I'm being shamed for my particular flaws and sins. And as soon as they realize that, they can't get out of that room fast enough. They dart out of there with their spiritual hospital gown flapping in the breeze behind them. Church should never involve shaming. Church is a place where we flail around in the awful beauty of being human together, okay? It's a place where we receive God's mercy and forgiveness, and we can't wait to extend it to one another. That's what church is. I was, um, there's a chick flick, actually. Where did I put this quote? Okay, I got to read my glasses. I'm 55 now, getting older. There's an ultimate chick flick, Bridget Jones Diary. Okay, guys, raise your hand if you've seen it. Men, yeah, see, we know who we are. Okay, we're okay with it. And there's this scene in this movie, oh my gosh, where Mark Darcy says this to Bridget Jones. I'll read this for you. I don't think you're an idiot at all. He's saying this to Bridget Jones. I mean, there are elements of the ridiculous about you. Your mother's pretty interesting. And you really are an appallingly bad public speaker. And you tend to let whatever's in your head come out of your mouth without much consideration for the consequences. But the thing is, what I'm trying to say to you very unarticulately, that is, in fact, despite my appearances, I like you very much just as you are. That's church, people. When I heard that, I thought, that is church. It's a place to say to other people, you've got issues. Take a number. So do I. Now get in the truck. That's church, all right? Lyric number two. We'll put that on the screen. Any wind means we're running. This is another great line, and it speaks about church. Now, when many Americans hear the word church, they instantly think in terms of performance. Maybe some of your family members or your friends think this way. They think of a really nice building and some glitzy stage where a dynamic worship band sings songs about their boyfriend Jesus and kind of a pop variety. And then a, a really charismatic, well-dressed speaker gets up and espouses these messages about how to get your bliss on, okay? That's not church. It's something, but in my mind, that's not church. Church is a gathering of individuals who are committed to making things better. They're not waiting around to just eject out of their earth suits and go to heaven, but instead, they are partnering with Jesus in bringing heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it sounds great, and it is, but it's also a very, very hard life at times, if I'm being honest with you. I want to put up a couple of scriptures, the first out of the book of 1 Corinthians and another one out of the, the book of Hebrews. And I want to, it's so honest, I love this. Now, this, the first one's about the Apostle Paul, and he's telling of his experiences of being on this journey with Jesus. And he says, to this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. 
we work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. Woo, thanks, Paul, for that. And then Hebrews chapter 11 says this. Some Christians, some Jesus followers, faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, throwing rocks at you until you were dead, and if that didn't work, they threw you off a cliff and dropped bigger rocks on you. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Is that like the worst pep talk ever? Okay, it's amazing after verses like this that anybody wanted to sign up to follow Jesus, to be on Team Jesus. But I love their honesty because on this journey through life with Jesus that we're on, we're going to struggle at times. We're going to struggle to have faith. We're going to struggle to forgive someone. Have you ever really tried to forgive someone? It is hard. My voice cracked. It's so hard. It's like, you know, puberty hard, okay? All right? It is so hard, okay? We're going to struggle with that. We're going to struggle with other things. We're going to struggle to love people, okay? We're going to struggle to even be around some people. Some days our life just doesn't look very good on Facebook. But please hear this, no matter what you're struggling with, and a lot of us have some pretty big struggles right now, things are going to be okay because good things are going to happen as a direct result of those struggles. Now, I'm not trying to belittle your struggles. I'm not trying to belittle my own. I'm not trying to dismiss them. I'm just telling you the facts. Good things are going to happen in our life as a direct result of the very struggles we're enduring right now. I'll give you a few examples. Number one, your life will be more interesting. We love movies where the main character is put through hell and back, don't we? We love to watch a character in a movie endure some sort of loss or hardship or rejection. I want to see how Rudolph deals with the fact that he wasn't allowed to play in the other reindeer game. I want to watch Wesley and the Princess Bride wrestle with the rodents of unusual size. I want to see how Sherlock agonizingly struggles to solve a seemingly unsolvable mystery. We don't want to watch a movie about someone who has a perfect life that's completely devoid of all problems and struggle. That's boring. That would be like watching a documentary about the life of the Easter Bunny. Nobody's going to go to that, okay? We want to see struggle because our lives are a struggle. But the struggle's okay because it makes it interesting. There's a woman named Karen, and oh my gosh, if you've never ridden, read, rid, that's the past tense of read, okay? If you've never read, if you've never read the Old Testament book of Job, it's an amazing book. And her life was like a real life example of the book of Job. She endured so much hardship and struggle. She lost her husband tragically. And then she got in this horrendous accident that included shattering her leg dislocating a a clavicle, um, all these broken bones, pelvises and ribs. It was awful. She remembers handing three parts of her foot to the paramedic in hopes that he could connect it back to her body. She endured multiple surgeries and eventually an amputation. And it is a tough story to read. I'm reading the story of her life going, not really sure I want to do this. I'm not sure I really want to read this. But 
like Job. It's so amazing. She just keeps going, and she ends up being this woman that's full of wisdom and, of all things, gratitude. One of her wise lines that she says, I'll pop it up on the screen for you, it says this, when you have nothing, you finally have both hands free to hold on to God. Her life has been a struggle, and yet it's so interesting, and so is ours. The struggles we endure don't ruin our life. They thicken the plot of our life because the last word has not been spoken about our lives. And our, our life is going to become this very interesting story of how God gets us through and helps us to overcome all the adversity and difficulty and rejection and pain that we're inevitably going to endure in this lifetime. Rudolph has nothing on us. You can watch that this Christmas and go, you think you have it bad, Rudolph. You should try my life. But like Rudolph, we'll come through, okay? And our life will be interesting. Second of all, struggles help our relationship. I was reading a transcript of a podcast. I didn't, I, I didn't watch the podcast or listen to it, rather. Instead, I just read the transcript because a pastor that I deeply admire was being um, interviewed on this podcast. And the host of the podcast starts out by saying this to the pastor. It was brutally honest. I loved it. I have to admit, you're the kind of person that I always want to tell my horrible problems to. Not the fun secrets, but the genuinely awful stuff. Is that a skill you've developed over time? That's what the podcast host asked this pastor. And the pastor was kind of taken aback by it, but answered quite honestly. Said this, well, no, I just think I'm such an obviously horrible person that people come up to me and, and go, boy, the bar is pretty low here. How bad can my stuff really be? I might as well talk to them about my own problems. I love that, okay? Isn't that awesome? The struggles we endure don't ruin our late relationships. They actually help us to form new ones and deeper ones because our struggles make us more trustworthy. Our struggles make us more approachable. Our struggles make us more human. We think pretending to be perfect is how we're going to garner more relationships, and just the opposite is true, which is why Lovely the Band has a song out right now that says, I like that you're broken, broken like me. Everybody wants to have relationships with other people that are just as jacked up as they are. That's the truth. So your struggles will help you to form relationships. They won't hinder you. And lastly, your struggles will help you to appreciate the good parts. They'll help you be more aware of joy. There's a musician. He actually passed away from cancer um, a few years ago, sadly. His name was Warren Zebon, and probably none of you under the age of 35 know who he is, and that's a shame. Google the song Werewolves in London, and you'll know who Warren Zebon is, okay? And he was interviewed right after he found out he had terminal cancer. He actually had the courage to go on the David Letterman show and be interviewed by David Letterman, and Letterman was brilliant in his, this interview. He was brilliant a lot of times, but he, he looked straight at He didn't dodge the issue at all, but he looked at Warren and said, from your perspective, is there something that you know about life that I probably don't? That's what he said to this man with a terminal illness. And Warren Zebon, he's a character, and he said this. I'll put up on the screen. This was his response. I know how much you're supposed to enjoy every sandwich. Oh, that is so good. Our struggles, what I learned from that is our struggles don't have to rob us of joy. They can actually awaken us to the joy that's in our life. Did you hear that? Our struggles don't have to rob us of joy. They can awaken us to joy. 
just like it did for Warren. He went through his life knowing it was going to end soon, and it did. But he knew how much he should enjoy every sandwich. He embraced the joy that was right in front of him that he might have missed without his struggle. One last thing about struggles, and I'll move on to the last lyric. You know, the teaching of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, weren't given to us as individuals. We think like that, but it's not true. They were given to community. They were given to groups. And that's a very important thing to know when you're in times of struggle. Because there are going to be times when you're going through such hardship that you feel like your faith is imploding. It's actually going away. You can't even come to church. You can't even sing. You can't even talk. And you definitely can't pray. And, oh, man, no way you can read your Bible. It's okay to, to admit you're in that place. That's what a faith community is for. Because it's during those times, you can go up to someone else in the faith community and say, hey, I'm lacking a little in the faith department right now. Actually, I have none. So can I borrow some of yours? I can't even pray for myself. I can't even get the words. I can't even form the words and get them out of my mouth. So could you please pray for me? I want you to know that. That's the beauty of a faith community. So life will have its struggles. The wind will be in our face. But it's okay, like the song said. It just means we're moving. We're surviving. We're still going. The struggle didn't defeat us. In fact, God's going to do this cool judo move with our struggles and actually use them for our benefit. All right? And the last lyric, when our hands hurt from healing. Oh, the hits just keep coming in this song. This is a great lyric. I believe that Jesus wants to save us all from preaching and believing a message or a form of the good news that makes life all about another world and not about this one. I don't think he wants to walk through our days observing the pain that is all around us and thinking to ourselves, Oh my gosh, I'm sure glad I'm going to heaven pretty soon because this world's a diaper fire and I can't wait to get out of it. I don't think that's how God wants us to live our lives. I think that God wants us to copy his behavior. He wants us to copy the lifestyle, the character of Jesus. And when you read through the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, the first thing that pops out of you is he was always going around healing people. That's what he was always doing. And we are called to follow his example. So the church is not about being right. It's about being love. And it's not even about finding love. It's about extending love just like Jesus. I wrote down a list, and I didn't even tell my wife I was doing this, but I wrote down a list of things I want my kids to know. You know, just advice or truth that I just want to pass on to my kids. And it's just the start. This is just my first 10. And it's probably going to get to 100, but this is my first 10, so I'll just share it with you. Number one, I love you. I want my kids to know that. Number two, and by the way, this has something to do with this message. Just stay with me here, okay? Number two, I'm proud of you. I want them to know I'm proud of their accomplishments. Number three, don't wear other people's faces. The world needs you to be you. Number four, always be full of wonder. This life is a gift. Number five, God is bigger than you think, better than you've heard, and closer than you can imagine. Number six, don't be afraid of love. Even after you've been hurt, it's totally worth the risk. Number seven, don't let the gloomy times define you. Dare to have delight in your life. Number eight, and the song said this, dogs will be in heaven. Cats will be too if they change and become more loving and loyal. <laughs> like dogs. So if cats turn into dogs, they'll make it too. Number nine, 
Be nice to mean people you don't know what they've gone through. And every once in a while, be mean to nice people because just to mess with them. <laughs> oh, that's such great advice. I was proud of myself for that one. And number 10, and I give this to every married couple I do a wedding for, sweep your hut, find food, and give hugs. Isn't that great advice? Okay. Jesus had some things he wanted his loved ones to know. And they're all through the scripture, but one of them is found in John chapter 14, and I want to read it for us. He says this to some of his disciples and followers and friends. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Every time I read that, that verse, I think to myself, are you kidding me, Jesus? Because I've read the Bible over and over and over again, and the things he did were pretty darn amazing, okay? And he's saying, not only am I going to do the same kind of things, I'm going to do greater things, but it's true. That's what he wants us to know. This verse is Jesus saying, I want you to know something. You can do stuff, and that stuff involves healing. Don't undersell yourself here. Every single one of us in this room, me, you, everybody in this room, can be an agent of God's healing because we carry around inside of us the very spirit of the living God that empowers us to do that healing. So when people come into contact with us, they come into contact with God's healing. They will be healed just by your kind words, through your kind acts, or sometimes simply by your companionship. You might even get to be a part of praying for somebody and this miraculous cure happens. They were sick and they were miraculously made well. Those are few and far between. But healing can happen even in the absence of a cure. I've seen it all the time. I've prayed for people and somehow their body didn't get the memo and they're still sick, but they were healed on a soul level. They were made well, made whole. It's even happened to me. Sometimes I'll pray for myself, God, please cure me of this sickness. And it doesn't happen, but I'm healed. I'm made well. I'm made whole somehow. I know that I can say it is well with my soul. There's a healing that took place that surpassed even the physical cure. That happens in life. And you might be thinking, well, I don't know where to start. I'll tell you where to start. Look around yourself, find someone that's hurting, and hang out with them. That's where you start, okay? And you won't have to look very far. Look around you, (laughs) okay? There's people in here that are hurting. Hang out with them, all right? And don't worry. Here's the good news. Because unbeknownst to you, God has been prepping you for the job of healing all along, and you just didn't know it. Every painful experience you've gone through in your life has been a training ground that God is using to equip you to be a healer. I'll give you a great example. The Skinners and the Johnsons, the Howlers all went to Alaska, and we got to be with a woman named Teresa Coop, and she's gone through so much hardship in her life with her family life and her personal life, and most recently she's a breast cancer survivor that involves surgery and chemo and radiation and the whole nine yards, and it's just awful. It was just awful for her particularly and she found out there's some things that she really liked when she was in the hospital going through all this treatment she wanted to have her her blanket a warm snuggly blanket she wanted lotion so that she could give the bottle lotion to her husband say rub my feet and she wanted several other things that brought her comforts good books things like that so after she was healed of all this and she survived cancer now she's putting together what's called go bags we're actually going to help fund her next month for our missions She puts together these go bags, and she walks into the hospital, into the cancer ward. They all know her now because she's very vivacious. And she gives people these go bags. Here's some lotion for you. Here's a warm blanket. Here's some good books and everything because she wants 
to heal the people. Isn't that cool? God used her pain and trained her to be a source of healing to others. Or how about this example? Oh, I love these people. There's a group of young men in inner city Philadelphia, and they're called the healers. I kid you not. They're all like in their 20s. Every one of them has endured a vicious act of violence or trauma of some sort. And then, yet they've recovered, and they go through this program that helps them to work through their issues with all that. And then they become one of the healers. And they go into hospital rooms at what's called the golden hour, when a, when a victim of some sort of violence wakes up. And they sit with them, and they talk to them, and they promise to walk them through the difficult road of recovery, the road of recovery that they've already walked on. And they heal people through their empathy and their presence. How cool is that? God converts our pain into being training that helps us to heal people of their pain. But I'm warning you, like everything involved in following Jesus, being an agent of healing is going to be messy. It's going to be messy. We can't get around that. When Jesus healed people, he was always touching them. He went up to people and he touched their ears. He went up and healed people's eyes and he touched their eyes. Ew. Okay, then he healed people. He touched lepers. Have you seen a picture of a leper? Ew, ew, double ew. And then he touched dead people. Ew, ew, ew. I never want to do that ever, okay? But the point is he was just involved in their life. Healing can take place at a distance. Sometimes it does that. I've prayed for people. They've been healed over the phone. But most often it happens up close and personal. If you want to be an agent of God's healing, you got to get in the game. You've got to be willing to be up close and personal with people. Get your hands dirty. You've got to stay with them and listen to them and care for them and touch them. And you have to be willing to endure a thousand awkward moments. That's all going to happen, but it's totally worth it to see God's healing take place. May our hands hurt from healing. Isn't that a great prayer? 